session is to engage with you. Uh, you know, have an opportunity to talk about different aspects of real estate investing naturally. That's my field. Um, so obviously, uh, the people that I know the names are people who are, uh, inter are interested in uh, real estate investing and to take your questions. That's the second uh, aspect. So if you have questions related to the topic or um, directly related or indirectly related, feel free to post it so I can address them and we'll take them as uh, we move forward with the with the session um, and uh, we do have a topic for today I always choose a topic to discuss usually something that comes up through the week having discussions with other investors and I bring it up um, so we can cover that that tells me there's an interest in that aspect especially if it comes up multiple times um, I'm gonna be probably a bit uh, slow or uh, uh, more relaxed today just because it's been a very hectic week I uh, just got back last night from Tampa after trying you know, spending five days in Tampa, four or five days in Tampa. Uh, very intensive, uh, packed with meetings, uh, back to back to back from, from Monday morning to Thursday uh, afternoon. It actually started uh, Sunday night. So I'm a little bit, <laughs> admit it, I'm a little bit tired and exhausted. Well, with that said, let's talk about uh, today's topic. So today's topic is actually about the concept of mortgages or, uh, um, or, or, or loans that we are always um, trying to get as investors. And there's a couple of aspects of that that I am always encountering when I'm speaking to investors. You can probably divide it into, um, if you are a foreigner, meaning you're not a US-based person that uh, wanna buy in the US using mortgages, just one, that's one bucket, it's a separate bucket. And then if you are a U.S.-based person who wants to invest, um, you probably heard that you can only get up to four mortgages or maybe up to ten mortgages. And what do you do when you have more than that? So let me uh, let me try and kind of, you know, put those three buckets, you know, a little bit different. Um, you know, one with a foreigner, U.S.-based with a small number of mortgages, U.S.-based with a large number of mortgages. And, of course, I'm talking about residential mortgages. I'm not talking about commercial mortgages. That's a separate topic we're probably not going to go into unless we have some time today so let's start with the foreigners for a second because i do know we have a, quite a few of those so the simple way to go about it you know for foreigners is actually expect challenges okay so if you're a foreigner foreigner being non-us based person okay doesn't have social security even if you have social security but you live in another state and you have no tax returns or not enough on your tax return or credit history you'll be challenged can you get mortgages in the States? Yes. How can you do it? It is, you know, a bit challenging and require creativity. When I say creativity, that means we have to work through non-traditional challenges. So if traditional or conventional mortgage, so let's define a baseline. Conventional mortgage for me looks like this. When I say conventional, you go to a smaller or bigger bank, some of the bigger names that you know and some of the uh, um, other names that you may know, not know, but it doesn't matter, just a bank. And that bank, uh, you know, uh, provides, you know, on an ongoing basis, mortgages to homeowners and investors. And they have their own program, which is usually, you know, dictated, or the terms of such program are dictated by uh, the governmental, you know, agencies, Fannie, Freddie, how those mortgages should be underlined and processed. This is, for me, what's called a conventional mortgage. Go to Bank of America, go to another bank, local bank, credit union, whatever, and you get a mortgage. 
Remember, it's a different program. When you're an investor and you're buying a, 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 you know, a residential rental property, you will end up getting different terms than if you are a homeowner buying the same property, okay? Just different underlining, higher rates, different underlining guidelines. So just don't remember it's two separate things. You know, the U.S. Um, loans are processing those loans in a different way, okay? Let's, we don't have to go into the, 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 the gory details because actually it's not that interesting, but just keep it, you know, keep that in mind. Um, if you are still in the conventional, I'll come back to the foreigners in a second or a minute. If we are still in the, you know, in the conventional, um, you know, uh, uh, approach, then you're looking at, um, I, I like to call it the first four mortgages are considered easy. Okay. It's never easy. There's always paperwork, more information. Again, you are a U.S. based person. You have all the transparency for the banking, credit score, social security, employment tax returns, all of those things you have and you can provide, the lender likes you, especially if you work and you have that financial stability, and they're just going to ask you for questions and qualification, and if everything is fine, they'll be able to process you a mortgage. Now, usually the first four mortgages you have, including if one of them is your own home, uh, are easy, okay, or simple. Let's just call it simple or simpler, meaning you can do 20% down, no less, um, and get 80% mortgage, okay? Once you hit that threshold of four mortgages, typically, and again, remember, this is in generalities, they're different, you know, a little bit different guidelines. If the mortgage is being underwritten through Freddie, uh, Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, it's a little bit different, so there are some nuances and differences, but I'm just giving you the general guideline how it works. First four mortgages, relatively easy, when you hit the fourth mortgage, the fifth mortgage to 10, you are actually in a less you know, of a simpler mortgage, not impossible. Um, usually it means no more 20% down, but 25% down. And the bank wants to see you have more reserves. The more properties you have, the bank wants to see you have more reserves uh, for the additional mortgage. They're not requiring it when you have four mortgages, they are requiring it fifth and after to 10, okay? So if you are someone here who's hearing, I can only get up to four mortgages, which many times I see people think that's the case, that's not the case, okay? Um, you can you can rather easy go up to 10, okay? If you are, you know, if you have a, uh, if you're married and your spouse works, that means 20, okay? Assuming everything is fine. What I mean by fine, your income, your income stability, your, uh, uh, your income history, your credit score, your credit history, your debt to income ratio. So there are multiple factors. Sometimes I get people who say, Danny, I have a 760 uh, um, um, score, credit score. Is that, you know, probably no problem. That's not necessarily the case. You can have 760, you know, credit score, even above that 800, and you may have such a high debt to income ratio, you will be a problematic for the lender. So it's not just a credit score. The mortgage is, you know, is a multiple factors. Each has its own weight. Okay, and then there are sometimes ways for the lender to work between those factors. Okay, I may have a high debt to income credit score, but you know, debt to income ratio, but um, I can ask for a higher down payment or I can mitigate it in some way. So it's not black and white, there are multiple balances that are determining your, uh, your ability to obtain a mortgage. Job stability, good income, debt to income ratio, you know, at a good rate, those are you know the main ones. 
Um, so I always think that if you are excited about real estate and want to quit your job and start doing real estate full time, maybe you want to uh, uh, think about it for another minute or two, because as soon as you are in that non-stable job kind of a situation, loans are going away. You know, well, somewhat going away. Let's just put it this way. Okay. So remember that. Uh, remember that. Um, when you're, so we have four, the first four easy. I'm not, it's never easy. Second six. So five, six, seven, all the way to 10 are a little bit more challenging. Still doable, right? Still doable. I have investors who are doing it multiple times. And then the question comes up, what do you do after 10? Okay. Let's put that aside. Go back to the foreigners. What do you do when you're a foreigner? Well, there are, I, I know of at least one bank that is willing to work with foreigners, U.S. Bank. Um, their program, I think it's 40% uh, down. So not 20, not 25, 40% down, 60% mortgage. Uh, 15 years loan, 15 year loan, but they used to, um, they used to do it a 15 year amortization as well. Amortization means the schedule of payments. How, you know, you can have a 30 year amortization. That means your payment schedule is based on 30 years, but the loan is doing 15. And you can have a 15 year amortization and a 15 year loan, meaning the schedule of payments is based on 15 years and it's doing 15. Okay. So it can be two different, ways how to go about it this bank now tells me it used to be 15 years amortization and do the loan is matured is it's done in 15 years this bank is now telling me they're willing uh they're willing to go to a 30-year amortization but doing 15 so that makes the monthly payments a little bit lower so that's something they're you know they're looking into doing i don't know if they decided on doing it or not what i'm trying to say there is one bank who's willing to work with foreigners, at least one bank that I know. What do you want, what else can you do? Well, there's other couple of things you can do if you're either a foreigner or someone who has more than 10 mortgages. Okay. Um, anytime we get to this box of non-conventional mortgages. Okay. Which I explained those are the simpler ones when you work with a conventional bank. It, it calls for creativity. Creativity is a very nice term usually for not as good terms or a little bit higher rates. So what can you do at this point? There's a couple of things. Number one, there's one thing I really like. It's tricky. Please don't execute what I'm about to tell you. I'm just telling you it's a, it's a possibility. Without the proper help, there are a lot of uh, uh, landmines in that concept. And it's called seller financing. Owner financing or seller financing. What does it mean? It means that in the States, some sellers are willing, and I've done that too, uh, at least twice, maybe even three times, when I purchased properties, and the owner of the property was willing, instead of taking all the proceeds from the, from the, from the sale, was willing, actually I've done it more than three times, um, was willing to, to leave some money back in, uh, you know, as a loan in the property. So that means at that point, when I've done it, I became the owner, and the previous owner, who's now no longer the owner because I purchased the property, became the, became the bank. And he had a note and he was getting monthly payments and he has, you know, uh, recorded his uh, loan uh, under the property. He became the bank like any other bank. It can be an individual and it can be a big bank that you know their name or don't know their name. So it doesn't have to be. So there's something called owner financing. What's the challenging challenges with owner financing? Well, um, the challenges are it's harder to find those type of properties. That's for, for once. They're not that common. They're not, uh, you know, 
They do exist, but they're not very common. Obviously, you need a seller who's probably an investor who's a little bit more sophisticated about the concept. You can do that too. Um, I don't like to touch owner financing properties that are already have a mortgage on them and that mortgage with a bank is staying. That's a very tricky, huge landmine that can be steer through but very tricky to do i don't like to to put myself in that position that's one of those landmines that i'm talking about uh but they're out there um they're willing to negotiate sometimes the last deal that i did as an owner financing as a buyer of an owner financing by the way i got an eight percent interest rate annual interest rate eight percent okay and when i told people that i'm getting eight percent like eight oh, percent that's a lot well for someone who's challenges challenge with mortgages eight percent not not necessarily a lot it really depends on the deal the deal made perfect sense i was still cash flowing with that property with the eight percent um approach by the way you know maybe a year or a year and a half maybe a year and a half or so later i re was able to find a local bank that was willing to work with me as a challenge borrower and provided me with a better loan and better terms and that was something of an improvement but up until that point eight percent I had no problem with it because the deal made sense to me on all levels. So it, uh, I'm not afraid of 8% if everything else makes sense. And remember, as an investor, if I can go to the bank and just get the 20% or 25% down with with today probably around 5% interest rate, I'll do that. But once I am a challenged person and I can't get you know to do that, then I need to step to another you know bucket. And that bucket is creativity meaning other terms and that's where it is so what's my alternative i can always you know go and pay and you know buy cash but do i want to buy cash a property you know when i can get maybe eight percent if the numbers work right so don't be uh focused on the eight percent as much as what are you trying to accomplish here the bigger picture okay um you know if you got if i have a property tomorrow and the cash flow let's just say you know it's a thousand dollar a month cash flow but the but the rate I'm paying not rent cash flow after everything but the rate I'm paying is 10% in order to obtain that property and everything works I don't care that's fine right I mean I don't like 10% but if the deal makes sense absolutely something I will consider um, other things that uh, you can you can consider excuse me one second sorry trying to sneeze didn't work um, other things you can consider is buying multiple, you know, properties with a commercial loan, but those are tricky. Okay, commercial loan maybe the rate is good, but then they're gonna they probably want to see who you are and what's your experience, and then they'll tell you, oh, we're gonna give you five year um, loan or ten year loan, adjustable, um, maybe probably up to twenty, maybe twenty five years amortization. So right there, you're gonna start seeing that there's a lot of complexity with doing those types of loans and of course they still want to see who you are um, if you are have more exposure to the u.s system even if you are a foreigner they will consider working with you such as tax returns and multiple tax returns and maybe if you have your, uh, your you've been submitting uh, you know tax return then they would be more open to, to work with you they will be more open to work with you on performing properties stable you know uh properties because they want to see you know that they've been rented and what's the rent and what you can you do so it's definitely a possibility um but um the one challenge i found with those guys is first of all it's adjustable they're not willing to do 30 year fixed 
some of them may have uh, some, at some point of the loan um, a period they'd be willing to fix it, but probably not more than 10 years. So there's always some uh, some uh, some risk there or some unknown on that aspect. Um, but they, they exist. They commercial bank commercial loans usually want to see. They're looking at two buckets. They're looking at the at the asset, the property or or, or properties, and they're looking at the borrower. Okay. Now, in a way, they want to vet both. But the stronger the asset is, okay, the stronger the asset is, the less weight they can put on the borrower, and vice versa. Okay. But it's never like super strong asset and zero vetting of the borrower and vice versa. It's always going to be a balance between those two, but this is something that, uh, uh, that's how commercial bank look at it. They will also want a longer due diligence, oh, sorry, a, a vetting period. None of them will probably do it in 30 days. Usually they'll do it in 30, uh, 45 to 60 days, depends on the complexity of the borrowing entity and person, person or persons behind it and the complexity of the, of the project. So that's definitely another way how to go about it. Um, this is something we are looking into doing with our investors is actually setting up a, a small fund, probably not going to be that small to obtain, to purchase bulk, uh, you know, list of properties and get financing. Something that, um, past years were always a bit of a challenging. It seems like there are more programs coming up that are more fitting, but none of them are as good as the conventional lending. Um, so I think what I, what I want you to take from this, being a foreigner or being a, you know, someone with multiple mortgages, number one, if you are a US based person, you can get more than four mortgages. Sometimes people think it ends at four. That's number one. Number two, 10 is usually the first time you would see a, a, a significant obstacle. And if you have a spouse, then you could probably go up to 20, which is usually for my experience, for the individualist investor, even 10 is enough, not to mention 20 is enough. Okay. I'm not talking about the big investor. I'm talking about, you know, the average investor probably won't even come, you know, own more than 10 properties. Um, if you're a foreigner, you, 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 we have a, you know, a program, um, not we, but the, someone we work with, but they will still want to vet, uh, vet you as well. Um, uh, of course, it's not, not, not a, you know, a given that they will work with you, but they will look into you and they're willing to consider it. It's not as good as the conventional, but it's probably better than alternatives. It's, you know, it's more 40% down, et cetera. Um, and I'm sure if, you know, there are other programs out there, um, um, seller financing is always, a, you know, always a possibility challenging be very very careful about aspect that aspect it's in my mind it's the most challenging one by the way it's probably my most favorite one when when you know the setting you know makes sense so i like seller financing in i know in for many reasons but i already know what to uh kind of what to avoid or how to uh make sure i'm not falling into those uh, stepping on those uh landmines um and the bulk purchase. Bulk purchase, again, could be easier even for the foreigners if everything makes sense, okay? Commercial lenders, they like primarily performing assets. When I say performing, it is rented, it is producing, you know, it's stable, right? You're probably stepping into a producing, you know, asset, not, you know, stepping into um, something that you're buying and then have to fix up and then have to rent. They may consider it, but they love the producing or the stable, uh, you know, asset as well. 
So those are the things I want to say to all of you. I know there's a mix of people, you know, here, uh, foreigners and U.S.-based and foreigners who who operate in the states and um, in uh, um, um, have some transparency and some with or without. So I'm just trying to to give you know provide answers to all. But those are the main things. The the important thing, you know, from my experience is there are options out there. Okay, um, I can tell you that I've been doing it for 16 years. I, I want to say that probably in the past 10 years, there's rarely a week that goes by that I don't speak to a lender, okay? Which even includes um, four or five lenders last week alone. Oh, so, sorry, this week. Um, what are we talking about? Tuesday? You know, um, or not maybe remember, uh, remembers. Uh, Tuesday, probably Tuesday. We met with uh, four lenders. Uh, while I was speaking, you know, with four lenders uh, this week or meeting, you know, in person with those lenders this week, I probably, you know, emailed back and forth with two or three more, um, you know, that I've been speaking with the week before. And I already have another meeting with another lender, two lenders next week. So just to show you, for me, it's a weekly thing because it's always a challenge. Always, always, always a challenge, right? It never stops. Um, program starts. You know the, the the things that I need as a as an investor, uh, personally or as an investor who, who leads a group are different. Um, they're they're changing too, so it's a it's an ongoing. So be ready. There's no such thing easy lender to work with. I've never met the easy lender. Doesn't exist. Uh, maybe I met one that seems to be a little bit you know too easy, and we're not sure that he's even a real lender now. So we're vetting him actually. Um, so those are the things. Be ready for that, right? They're going to ask you for documents and for information and more information and more information. And I'll tell you this. If you're making offers and you are not sure about the your capability of obtaining a mortgage, even if the lender tells you you're safe, and especially if you're foreigners, try to always put financing contingency. Okay, I've seen multiple times that the lenders say, hey, no problem, no problem. Yeah, everything is fine. We checked, everything is fine. And then a week before closing, problem, 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 all the way to the point that lender is all of a sudden saying, oh, I can't do this loan. And you're in, and they, they have no accountability. They leave you hanging out there with you are committed to a, to a purchase without actually completing it because the lender bailed out for one reason or another. Um, I hope there are no lenders here. I don't trust any of them. Let's just put it this way. Okay, that's it. Hopefully, uh, we can uh, have some questions. While questions are, are coming up, there's always a delay uh, when uh, when someone put a, puts a post. Couple of things. Number one, your likes are always appreciated, just because it helps aggregate the the video. Number one. Number two, if you're watching on the recording, which uh, many people tell me they they join, they don't have time now, but they go on the recording. Feel free to post comments as well. Um, if you want to know a little bit of what um, I was doing this week, scroll down on my page. Uh, there are two videos from this week. One from last night, kind of wrapping up everything uh, about that was going on this week, the ups and downs, the interesting, in more general way, and some pointers and some takers and some things that are kind of uh, observations of this week, a short video. Um, done in the Houston airport last night while waiting for my delayed fly, flight, naturally. 
And another one from Wednesday, which we uh, we actually did uh, I did on a, on a, on site on a project we are considering outside of Tampa, Florida. So you're also welcome to to look at more specific project, what's going on with that, and something more general um, there. Um, and I see the first question coming up. So uh, I'll t before I'll take it, so uh, feel free to contact us for more intimate specifics if you want to consider investing. Uh, obviously, we'll be happy to work with you. That's what we do day in, day out, rentals and flips in multiple parts of the country. First questions come up. How was the deal in Tampa? Uh, or how the deal in Tampa went? Super challenging, to say the least. The property is is great. The numbers are super challenging. We are still going back and forth. We like everything about this project, the potential. The problem is the numbers are very tight, very, very tight. And we are trying to see what to do with it. So it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a nice building, a nice school, actually in good condition relatively to its age. And the fact that it's been vacant for um, 10 to 13 years. Um, so, you know, location is good, but it's all about the numbers, right? Uh, definitely all about the numbers. And, yeah, it looks promising. Sure, we'll let you know once we uh, we, we have more. Um, not sure, you know, we're still in the due diligence, so I don't know uh, where this leads us. We're going to be, you know, we're cautious about this deal for sure. Any other questions? So I thought maybe I'll do a little challenge. I'll give you a, little, a small challenge. Um, as investors, if you want to take it, it's entirely up to you. But the small challenge, I thought maybe uh, um, um, I want to offer you, all of you is it doesn't matter if you are a beginner or experienced investor. Investment-wise, at any stage of our investment, um, we have challenges, obstacles. And my challenge for you and what I found to be working for me is actually sitting down for five minutes and literally writing those obstacles down. Pen and paper, I'm old school, that's me. You want to type it on, a, on, a, on, a, on your mobile phone, that's fine too. But take the five minutes and say, here are those five, three, five, seven, eight items, eight things that are holding me back, like the obstacles. They can be, I don't have money. I don't know anything about you know, mortgages. I feel that uh, I can't find trusted teams. Um, what if the what if the property going to be vacant for six months at a time? Try to be as specific as possible. Right? If you say, I don't know enough, that's just too general. Try to decipher one by one by one every item. Say, okay, here's my problem number one. If I have an answer on this one, I'll probably be more ready to invest. Uh, here's my problem number two, and so on. If you're already investing, then your set of challenges are going to be different. Okay, um, I can't find contractors. I can't find houses. Um, I'm having a hard time, you know, doing the ARV after repair value, right? Um, I'm stuck with mortgages, okay? Once you ID the challenges, the obstacles that you are facing at your stage or phase of investing, more advanced or less advanced, you've probably done a significant, you know, 
um, amount of work because now when you have it listed down, you can target and try to see to solve those those problems. You took a general notion of you know of of an obstacle and you broke it down into elements and now you can say okay this this obstacle here's how I can probably you know focus on solving it. This obstacle number two, this is how I can probably solve solve it you know in a different way. You know you're able to kind of take the puzzle of a problem and break it and then solve each individual element or feature or aspect uh, separately. What is the minimum amount you need to have liquid for a flip investment? I would say with us, it's usually $50,000. Um, you know, uh, we, I think maybe once or twice um, for a specific situation, we took less than that. It could vary on a specific project. Uh, that we would actually raise the you know the minimum to maybe 75 or 100. It really depends. For example, when we were talking about raising funds on the on, you know for the school, I think we had at least 100,000 uh, dollars for the school conversion project in in Tampa. We were actually looking at a minimum of 100,000 dollars per investor. So it varies, you know, with us. Um, but my rule of thumb is is no less than 50 on a, on a regular on a regular deal, so to speak. How is the general market look in terms of rental investing? I'm having a hard time finding good ROI in multiple markets. What do you expect for the future? You are offer in a common, you know, common space. Um, most of the good uh, markets, metros around the country are facing exactly what you're, you are seeing, which we're seeing increasing demand by the marketplace, not just investor while the inventory goes you know uh, uh, drops so there's a the, the gap the supply and demand gap is increasing um which kind of fuels itself because people are getting more nervous more desperate more willing you know think about this market not from an investor standpoint uh, but from a from a homeowner standpoint remember if you are dealing with residential real estate you are as investors we are tailing the industry we are not leading the industry most of the u.s you know, lives in their own home, right? About 67% own their own home and about one third, you know, are renting. That's just usually, generally the, the, the proportion across the board. So we are tailing the industry. We are not dictating the industry as investors, right? Homeowners out there, they're seeing a house. They may have bid multiple times uh, already. You know, think about the, the, you know, the person, the homeowner who sits there and say, you know, let's just say uh, lives in Tampa, right? In Tampa, Florida, we're talking about Tampa this week, or somewhere in the Tampa area, right? Doesn't have to be the city of Tampa. And they're saying, "Oh my God, interest rates are going up, real estate around me is going up." Like my neighbor's house or my, uh, the house I am renting last year was 175. Now it's one, you know, 185, 190, right? Um, so everything is getting expensive. I have a little bit cash, but I didn't think about buying. But with everything going on, I might as well switch and, and, and buy before I lose the opportunity because the rate is going up. That would mean a smaller house for me, not less of a house. Buying power, you know, weakens my buying power. And then it's getting more expensive. So I'm, I'm already a year later, can't afford the same house, same price as I, I could a year ago. I wasn't thinking about it then, but it's getting crazy. I'm going to start looking for a house, right? That's a homeowner. Now that homeowners already made seven offers, all being rejected. The next house he sees, he says, "Okay, they're asking, you know, 190. I might as well put, a, you know, put 200,000 
and get it because I just so frustrated and out of pocket it's only a thousand or two thousand dollars more for me everything else is coming from from uh, from the loan but I'm just so uh, frustrated by the way the same mentality I see is happening with investors that's not completely different but the homeowner is willing to pay more for that house you're considering as a rental because we are number oriented he likes the schools he likes the street he likes the layout he likes the, the where the lot is located within community it works for this it works for it right for him the emotional aspects of it are you know he visions himself in this house as investors the numbers don't work let's look at another house let's look at the third and the fourth for him it's like this is where my kids will go to school this is where my family lives nearby it works i'm willing to pay more for that okay so we're seeing i think we're seeing a little bit more of a shift um from rentership to ownership not huge but this you know it, it can be even just half a percent and it makes an impact i have shift uh that can make an impact so good markets around the country are seeing short inventory i uh, let me give you an example of something i did this morning just this morning so one of my guys in tampa uh he he makes offers for us on flip properties all the time right he's probably submitting 10 15 offers every week and we may get one in 20 um one in 20 one in 15 that we get accepted and then doesn't mean we're actually going to buy it so i took all the offers he made since the beginning of march until april 9th 10 days ago so i took um 40 days of offers right i think i pulled out about 20 25 um 20 25 probably 25 uh, uh, offers made and i started looking at those houses one by one i took all of them say okay house number one what's going on with it put the address now pending sold pending sold pending sold out of 25 two only two were still listed right that doesn't mean they didn't go under contract and came back fell through but only two were still listed for one reason or another. I didn't even investigate what's going on if they went under contract or not. I just told the team, hey, those guys, those houses have been somewhere between a month to, you know, to a few weeks already on the market. Let's maybe try again. So just to show you out of 25, that means 23 either list, uh, uh, either pending or sold. Okay. So very frustrating. Uh, very challenging market, you know, to be a buyer. Not impossible. At the same time, I can tell you, I have, I have a lot of investors that are active, and I see offer submitted, offer accepted, housing, house closed. So it's still working. Um, the one thing that I see, uh, uh, investors are, uh, are psychologically blocking themselves when they're using our analysis Excel, and they're saying, oh, it's only generating a hundred bucks. I'm not gonna take this house because it's only a hundred bucks. They just, you know block themselves because they're so focused on this one hundred dollars they're not seeing the bigger picture and all of a sudden they can't buy right a hundred bucks you know when we analyze a property a hundred bucks a month after everything is a is a is, i wouldn't call it super conservative but it's a realistic with a conservative uh um, um approach not super conservative but a conservative approach and even if it starts at a hundred bucks we you know per month as cash flow after everything when i say everything i mean vacancy repairs insurance property taxes property management listing fee hoa all of those good stuff right it's not going to stay 100 bucks for life it's going to creep up over time you know in three years it's going to be 150 and then 200 and slowly go up in time while the mortgage stays the same so obviously i'm talking about houses with mortgages so 
offer. It's a challenging market everywhere. Okay, that's one of the reasons we are shifting towards buying bulk. Um, you know, approaching big sellers with bulk, you know, properties because then we have a little bit more of a buying power, which we don't have with the individual uh, owner. Okay, hopefully that. Short question, long answer. Good. Hopefully that that helps clarify your uh, your question. Thank you for the for your question, offer. We have other questions. I'm gonna wait because usually it takes some time. Very good. I see no other questions are coming in. And anyway, it's already kind of 45 minutes after the hour. I like to keep it at 30. Um, so I really appreciate you uh, participating, taking time, joining uh, joining the session. I guess we'll see you again in one week, same time, 11 a.m. Pacific time on Friday. If you have a topic we would like us to cover, you're most welcome to submit it. We'll definitely consider it. Um, always open to suggestions. And if you want to actually um, speak to me in more of an intimate uh, environment, not publicly, by all means, let me know. Facebook and email and all those other, you know, good stuff uh, applications. I um, want to wish every one of you happy Friday and uh, happy weekend and enjoy your weekend, the rest of your weekend. Have a terrific weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.